Fjords. Sorry? Fjords. <laughs> Fjords. <laughs> That's really weird. Like, <laughs> 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 what about them? Welcome to the Behavioral Design Podcast. Today is going to be a really interesting one on all things digital health and behavior change. But before we get into today's guest, I wanted to give a shout out to one of our loyal listeners who has been sharing our podcast on Twitter. Uh, her name is Jenny Ko, and she's head of performance and well-being at West Ham United. Do you know about West Ham United, Aline? I have no idea what that is. Sounds like Emily. soccer. Well, yes. So they're a football club, as uh, oh, they would say in the oh, UK. <laughs> uh, but they're in the English Premier League and a London-based team. That's They're in somewhat, you know, a rival to my favorite team. And they also beat us in the last game a couple of weeks ago. Maybe she's doing a little bit too good of a job. Like, <laughs> <laughs> because, like... because her team is beating yours. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, Maybe your so team needs a head of performance and well-being. Maybe, yeah, yeah. But I'm really, really excited to have someone representing the Premier League listening to our podcast. And I will take this opportunity to say that just in general, if anyone wants to invite me or Lynn, specifically me, to, <laughs> hey, <I'll go>. to, come, <laughs> to, to come to a football uh, stadium and watch a game of uh, whatever team you're involved with, for example, West Ham United, <laughs> Give Even West Ham United. Yeah, for sure. Like they're doing great. They're a great team, great manager as well, and a fantastic stadium. But on a serious note, I feel like it's really cool to have a behavioral science in that kind of position, right? Like we don't see that many behavioral scientists in the sports domain, or at least I haven't seen very many. It seems like uh, one step closer to, to World Dominion. I think so. And so, so Jenny, thank you again for, for being a listener and for, yeah, being a representative in a cool domain. Let's get into today's episode. So who are we speaking with today? I am so excited to introduce Ingrid. Ingrid is not only a good friend of mine, but a former coworker. She's currently the director of behavioral insights at United Health Group. Before that, she was in a pretty similar role at Rally Health. Before that, at the Center for Advanced Hindsight and also Irrational Labs. And one important thing to know about Ingrid, she is an amazing skier. I, I've gone skiing with Ingrid and... She just tears down the slopes. She has absolutely <laughs> no fear. And she is so fast. <laughs> I could not keep up with her. I consider myself a reasonably okay skier, um, especially for an American with Swiss heritage. But Ingrid, wow, like that girl, she <laughs> cannot be beat. So it sounds a little bit like uh, an, an example of how context can change us as a little bit who we are. Because when I've interacted with her, she seems like the sweetest person in the world. I, I would never really, like she seems to be someone you want to look out for in the ski domain. So she is the sweetest person in the world, um, both on the slopes and off, but she has a definite taste for adventure. Let's just put it that way. Well, we had a great conversation, Wingrid. We dove into talking about a lot of different things when it comes to designing for behavior change in digital health. And one of the things we really talked about was just the importance of focusing on the right behaviors. So not just thinking about clicks and opens and other engagement metrics, but really understanding the kind of the underlying behaviors that we're trying to change. Uh, we also talked about some fun examples of when gamification backfires and what yeah. we should be careful of when using gamification. And uh, one thing you might know Ingrid from is actually 
her very famous spreadsheet on behavioral science companies around the world. And so we talked a little bit about that tool and also her advice for people who wants to create greater good for the field as a whole. And I think she's a great inspiration in that domain and has done a great you know, impact through that spreadsheet and other things. So yeah, really fun conversation. Let's get it started. Presents to Murgatroyd. Welcome, Ingrid. Thank you, Arlene. It's very nice to be here with you and Sam. Yeah. I've been looking forward to, to chatting with you. Awesome. Yeah, it's super exciting. I've uh, been looking forward to speaking with you as well. And uh, as we mentioned, it's been a while. And uh, I guess you have two fans here in this uh, space, both me and Aline. So I know you might go even further back, uh, you and Aline, um, for sure. Uh, I think so. Yeah. And I think today's going to be especially fun for the three of us because we're all kind of in a similar space of digital health. So we all, you know, we have to, <laughs> I guess, be careful of nerding out too much of just like getting really far into the, the weeds of digital health. But I, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. I think uh, I was actually having this thought about this being something similar to, you know, three behavioral scientists and three beers or something. But we're not drinking. We're not drinking. <laughs> I forgot the beer. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, have some I don't actually here. like beer. I also have tea. <laughs> okay. It sounds like the very light, the very light version. Three behavioral scientists and two cups of tea. I have one too. So we got three teas. So <laughs> there's a better ring we're, to it. We're all set up. <laughs> Tell Yoel that. Yes. Very vanilla. <laughs> right. Awesome. Well, we're going to dive in to a kind of recurring question we've had for the season two, which has been... The fact that we've lived through a behavioral experiment in the last 18 months. And we're always curious to know what is one expected, unexpected thing that you've learned, Ingrid, across these 18 months or so uh, about human behavior. Maybe that was, you know, something new you haven't thought about before or something that maybe maybe think differently about human behavior change or anything related to it. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a great question. And I think uh, something that uh, we've all thought about a lot over the last almost two years now. I mean, there's a lot of things you could answer. Um, I think I've been thinking a lot about the extent to which that we can live in different realities based on our attitudes and the information that we're exposed to. Like, for example, getting people to take COVID vaccines is obviously a hot topic and a huge challenge. Um, while some people were kind of scouring the internet for the scarce appointments, like the moment they dropped almost like concert tickets or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> I was one of those people, um, <laughs> but others swear, kind of swear that nothing will get them to take it. But I've also been really fascinated by all the people who fall kind of in between. So and a lot of the efforts to reach those people. So there's been a lot of weird incentives uh, being offered uh, to those people. Oh, so weird example, incentives. Ranging from, yeah, like uh, ranging from like giving people free joints to free rounds at gun ranges or uh, kind of tickets to, to museums and donuts. Um, and it's it's been really fascinating to see kind of how people have thought about incentives in that way. Um, obviously, you have kind of lottery incentives and, and things like that that have been tested as well. And I think another surprising part was a study that came out from, from Penn earlier this mm -hmm. month, I think, looking at how effective some of those incentives were and, and actually not finding huge effects of them. So uh, so it's really interesting that um, things that we might have thought might work in a context like this 
we don't always see the effect that we expect, uh, which is why we, we need to have ways of testing what works. I don't know if if there will be experiments testing the effects of everything, like joints and the, the rounds. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but it's really fascinating. And, and I think we're, we're learning from it, even though it's still a really challenging problem that we're in the middle of right now. Yeah, my, my favorite example is actually in Netherlands, they gave out free herring for, <laughs> for vaccinations. But the big mistake there was that it was in Netherlands and not in Sweden, I think, or in Norway. I was going to say, yeah, it seems like more of a Swedish prize. <laughs> but what is your take on the, the free joints versus uh, shooting at the gun range? Doesn't it, it seem like the joints might be targeted at the wrong audience? Or, or are those the holdouts, the, the joint smokers? <laughs> like gun range, I can kind of see that. Or like in, uh, in lieu of an RCT, what's your opinion on this? <laughs> That's a good question, Aline. I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't dare to guess, um, but I, I think uh, so. Uh, I had a conversation with some of my colleagues about this as well, and and some of the incentives did seem like they were very targeted to the state. So mm-hmm. I probably should get into that too much either. But uh, but yeah, there were kind of more more gun related incentives in the Midwest, and and I think it was in Washington and Oregon. You saw some of the the weed incentives and and uh, it might be that they had done a lot of research about what would appeal to to the people that live there <laughs> somehow i doubt it <laughs> yeah and you know t- putting on our behavioral scientists hats i wanted to dig into a little bit more about how we can better support better digital health experiences. And so, so I know you've been involved in kind of different products and services and, and, and projects and so on. And I'm just curious, what is your thoughts on what it means to design for retention in digital health? Do you have any general things that you think about when, you, when people say like, oh, what's, what can we do to improve retention in our digital health experience or app? Yeah, I think when you design for for digital health and, and retention, you really have to think about what does, what does that mean for you? Like, what are the outcomes that you're really trying to drive? And if you're trying to retain people uh, in your product, how how does that support the, the long-term outcome that you're trying to, to encourage? So for example, if, if you want people to stay out of the hospital after um, they've recovered, they're recovering from a surgery, and you want them to to not be readmitted for the same same procedure that they had for a certain number of days that are deemed kind of the, the highest risk period. Uh, that's a very specific outcome, and when you're talking about things like retention, you probably want to retain them during that higher risk period. Then you have products that are a little bit more vague, maybe uh, saying like we just want to improve health, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, but that can be challenging because like when you're thinking about retention, are you just wanting them to log into your app, uh, or is it really kind of what what they do in the app that matters, or what they do outside of the app that matters? So when you design digital health products that make a difference, you really need to have a clear sense for what meaningful use means. Uh, so you're really thinking about the health outcome and how people are engaging with your service to help them improve that outcome. And meaningful use of a healthcare product might be like 
logging in once a week or uh, every day. Uh, but um, but it's really kind of what they do when they're in your product and outside of your product that matters. Uh, I don't think kind of page views are necessarily the thing that will help lead to better health. So it's important that you have kind of the right the right KPIs and that you're designing for for the right level of um, engagement with that. Does that answer your, your question, Samuel? Yeah, no, I love that. And I think it's really something that I strongly believe in, in terms of, I think we have talked about it before as well, where it's easy to focus on the wrong KPIs and metrics. And I think we see that, especially with digital intervention, still a lot of apps focus a little bit too much on, on certain vanity metrics that might seem that ticks the boxes, but doesn't really, you know, doesn't matter if time on device is really high for someone that tries to look like, let's say, wants to improve their uh, risk of di- diabetes, for example. Is it great if we had like, hey, we've had them on a 50-day streak and they spent <laughs> you know, a lot of time on our gamified uh, app, but they haven't actually reduced the risks at all. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. they haven't done the behaviors outside of the app that they need to do, for example. So I love that you kind of raised that as an important aspect. Yeah. And I mean, you're thinking about, say, like a 50-day streak of, is it a 50-day streak of, of just logging in or is it a 50-day yeah, streak of, of opening <laughs> Great yeah. job. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone could, could really argue that they think that opening an app reduces uh, risk of diabetes. Yeah. And it sounds silly when I say it now, but honestly, I've experienced so many times where I come to product team and they don't really have good measures for outside of like, you know, within in-app engagement, they usually have really good metrics, but pretty much next to no metrics, you know, outside of that. And that is, well, yeah. And how much of that is a function of it's hard to measure things that are hard to measure, sure, right? Like, sure. I think I sympathize with them as well. Even we, you know, we can keep saying like, yeah, you should measure the right KPIs, but sometimes those KPIs are difficult, if not impossible to capture. So I think like, that's a real challenge. And you know, like, how do we solve that one? <laughs> Yeah, I will go on a tangent here a little bit, but one funny anecdote here is that I was speaking to teams on like the various dating apps randomly. I didn't set out to do that, but uh, we've had a guest on uh, from Hinge, uh, Logan Yuri, but I've randomly spoken to people at Bumble and uh, and Tinder as well. And I think it's pretty clear in terms of, from that perspective, that I think Hinge is trying to do something where they're trying to measure at least people going on dates, which is really hard to do, but they have... And, and metric they're trying to follow. But the other apps seems to be not caring at all what happens outside of that. Like they just want to, seems to mostly grow monetary engagement and so on. So I think, I think it's hard, like you say, I agree with that for sure. But I think we can probably still do more than, than we think as well. Yeah, I think the issue might come in where the tracking burden becomes really high with health behaviors. Yeah, like do you want, cer- certainly there are, devices that can do some passive tracking and so on. But once you get into like diet, for example, like I feel like diet is the hardest thing to measure and manipulate and influence because what are you going to ask people to enter every single morsel that they put into their mouths? Like that just seems impossible. I like if anyone figures out how to do diet, I just think that's like the Holy grail. Ingrid. Yeah. <laughs> I have to design. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out. <laughs> yeah. But I, I think um kind of going back to to the the right KPIs, I think sometimes it depends a lot who chooses the KPIs as well and and 
what your approach to it is. So if you're focused on on health outcomes, I think it makes sense to choose kind of the behavioral KPIs, but often you have business, you have business goals too. So you have to kind of both think about the business goals and the, the health outcomes goals. And I think a lot of the time product teams come in and they focus so much on the business goals uh, that they kind of fail to see that the business goals are are tied with the health outcome goals and and you kind of only focus on the KPIs that are relevant to the the business goals. So let's say that you've figured out, you know, what your what your behavior is, it's going to be uh, I like medication because it's really easy to measure often. <laughs> so let's say you you know you want to get your users to take their medication as prescribed, you know, on time uh, on time every time. And you're trying to decide as a behavioral designer, you know, what sort of intervention to apply to that through a digital health app. What do you, how do you sort of go about deciding what to use, you know, when to use it, on whom, how to sort of personalize? How do you like think through that process? Do you want me to talk for 40 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> Give me the one sentence. <laughs> one sentence. Um, no, no. Just, uh, <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> no, I like it. It's staying. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, as you as you know, that's a really complex uh, process. Um, you you kind of start with being really clear about like what your key behavior is that you're designing for. But then you, you really have to understand your users and their contexts. And, and we know that details really matter and really understanding kind of what's what are the barriers that are currently keeping them from, from doing it. And that might be be similar for, for a lot of people, but it might be different uh, between certain populations as well. Um, so, so really getting into the details of the, the context makes a, a huge difference and, and really understanding the nuances there. And I think once you understand what the barriers are and you understand what the key behavior that you're trying to drive is and how often it needs to happen in order to lead to the long-term health outcome that you're trying to drive, then you can start to think about, like, do are there ways for, for us to design the system to reduce the barriers and reduce the friction to doing this behavior? Um, or are there um, ways that that we can increase the motivation to do it so that so that they become more more likely to do it and more motivated? So so that's kind of where you you start looking to maybe behavioral science literature for ideas um, on how to how to increase motivation. But you really need to understand the full context and the users and the behavior and how often you want them to to do it in order to see the health outcomes. And then it's it's an iterative design process. So you're you're learning from the data and you're learning from your your research and experiments and, and seeing what happens. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And uh, to nerd out about some random things in terms of that could come up there, uh, depending on the context. We mentioned streaks before. Uh, what is your general thoughts of kind of using game elements or Gamification is a is a big term, and I think can often be kind of straw man induced, meaning that you're throwing in a leaderboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people who are really passionate about gamification mm-hmm. are upset about that, rightly so, because I think it has yeah. a little bit bigger bigger uh, things involved there as well. But if we just talk about these certain things, like adding a leaderboard or adding streaks, for example. Do you have any op- opinions on, on that? Yeah, so um, I think gamification 
can be done really well. And having some games like Elements can be incredibly useful for getting users to engage over time. So for example, it can help offer immediate feedback and positive reinforcement and kind of clear directions on what actions you should be taking in and out of the product. But the details really, really matter when it comes to gamification. And it really is like you say, it's it's not this one thing. Uh, it's it's really a lot of different uh, different strategies, and and I think the answer kind of depends based on on what strategy you're talking about. So again, it matters what what behaviors are you trying to drive. Uh, it matters whether there are necessarily extrinsic incentives involved. Like, are people just doing what they they realize they should be doing in order to earn points that will uh, translate into a specific reward or, or uh, financial incentive? And are they just kind of trying to, to game the system in order to, to get to that reward? Have you come across that? Have you come across that thing happening, that people gaming the system? Yeah, yeah. So um, with one product I worked on, we had an employee incentive program where one of the components of it was people could sign up for different challenges. So it could be anything from going to bed early or drinking enough water or um, going to the gym twice a week. And a lot of it, you would self-report whether you did the behavior or not. So um, some of them, you might even be able to go back kind of the last three days to self-report whether you went to bed early or you drank enough water or you went to the gym and it would just kind of believe you every time and you'd get the kind of nice sounds and points and and that would eventually translate into kind of HSA dollars or uh, points that you could use to to get kind of new yoga yoga pants <laughs> and things like that so uh, you can kind of choose choose your own incentives as well as the the financial incentive and uh, we did see that when people opened uh, these challenges they would kind of go to 15 of them and um, and just check off that they did lots and lots of things so not necessarily super reliable self-report and um, Maybe they did do those things. <laughs> How say. do we know they didn't? Maybe they did. It was How do we know they didn't? Yeah. It is hard to measure. But I'm going to go out on a limb and, and guess that maybe they didn't. And we kind of tried to start using less self-report. Uh, but I think I, I even fell prey myself to slightly making up uh, some of my own responses when I realized that so we, we introduced... Like you had to be within a certain range of the gym to say that you you worked out. And I have to say, I, I realized that I lived very close to my yoga studio and I might have had checked in once or twice when I when I hadn't been <laughs> to a class. Oh. So, um, You're gaming your own system. <laughs> my own system. Um, but I found out that you can game the system that way. And I think people are very good at finding out how to game the system if there's an option for them to do it. So, and I think that's especially true when there are extrinsic incentives involved, because you you kind of think about um, you think about the reward, and and you might focus so much on the reward that you're just kind of grinding the in the game and just trying to to get as many points as possible to try to get the reward as soon as possible. So I think there are some some dangers involved in in that if it is easy to game 
the system and and if it does only rely on self-report. I think another thing to, to really consider as well is whether people really want to play the game you're setting up. So are you only designing the product for the users who are motivated by kind of gaining points or competing and getting on a leaderboard and being being number one at the specific behavior that you're trying to get people to do more of? And I think some people end up just disengaging if um, if they're not really the competitive type or or they're not really interested in, in doing that. So they might still do the health behavior, but but they might not be be that interested in, in going and reporting what they're doing and, and coming back to your product. Yeah, I think it's uh, actually one of the underrated things from gamification that people don't talk about enough is the idea of like playing styles that for most games that are successful, they allow for people to play the games differently. And, and that's kind of what we really should think about as well when you design an intervention, that we shouldn't just have one intervention that's going to be magically trying to solve everyone's kind of whatever problem it is, but understanding that there will be different people who have different goals, different, uh, you know, preferred ways of getting to those goals and so on. And so I, I mm-hmm. like that you, you mentioned that as well. I think one thing that people often don't consider as well is that games often have have ends and the same <laughs> game isn't going to stay motivating for people for a really long time. So if you're looking for long-term health behavior change, uh, kind of propping people up with gamified elements, it's maybe going to, to only be motivating for so long. I don't know. I know some people who've been addicted to World of Warcraft for <laughs> going on 30 years. <laughs> so, uh, some games never do yeah. end. So uh, so you're going to design the World of Warcraft for digital health? Definitely it? not. No. <laughs> so yeah, what about some other strategies that might be more effective than than gamification or or using extrinsic incentives? A lot of, I think we, we talk a lot about the social element and bringing in people's social circles. What are your thoughts about this um, sort of uh, accountability approach? Yeah, I think accountability is a really interesting and, and powerful uh, way to encourage the right kind of engagement in health over time. I think it's it's very easy to stray from our intended plans if we don't think anyone will notice. So even kind of creating the perception that an important behavior is observable uh, can really have an impact on, on driving engagement. And really, it can help close the gap between our, our intentions and actions as well. So I like during the pandemic, I was pregnant, same as you. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I had some some issues with gestational hypertension, so high, high blood pressure, and it meant that uh, every day I had to to kind of go through and, and take my blood pressure and write down my numbers. And I knew that someone would call me on Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. and they would ask me for my specific values for every day. And just knowing that. I had that kind of check-in was extremely powerful in, in helping me do it. So I feel like I, I got to kind of experience, experience that in the health world firsthand. And it was it was quite interesting. I it's not something I like to do kind of every morning to like first thing I do sit down and try to take my blood pressure especially when you know it's high it's kind of stressful and then it's just higher (laughs) so so it's kind of an unpleasant behavior for me to do but um, but adding that I would say maybe kind of double accountability uh, of having someone check in with me and also 
wanting what's best for the the baby. So you're you're kind of not really necessarily doing it for yourself, um, but you have that kind of external drive to 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 do something that is good for you in the long run and good for for the baby in the long run. But but in the moment, it's it's probably more more unpleasant. So I think, I mean, and that really translates to so many things. Uh, I mean, with workouts and and lots of lots of other health behaviors um accountability can be a really powerful thing and, and it's really underutilized i think in in digital health as well i'm going to go on a really quick tangent and ask do you do you feel like you know you were doing it at the same time every single morning do you feel like this thing that was you were being held accountable by this external source for a while do you feel like over time with all of that repetition it turned into a habit and it got easier or did you feel like towards the end it was the same as day one where you were still like oh well they're gonna check in with me so I better do it yeah, uh, I don't think it became super habitual, honestly. Even though I did it for, <laughs> for nine months, um, I I don't know why. Uh, I mean, I, I kept doing it every morning, but I think because it was unpleasant, it it didn't feel like something I could just kind of relax into and automate in that kind of habitual way. It had to be, it had to be a little bit more more conscious. So so yeah, I actually don't think it became became a habit for me and I stopped doing it when the moment I could stop doing it I, I didn't want to do it again it's that's, not like really tell you yeah it's not like I'm still measuring my blood pressure every morning so yeah I feel like uh, we could nerd out so much more about digital health but I'm gonna take a little bit step back in terms of talking about one thing before we get into the our quick fire round uh we're getting into soon as well but I wanted to say something uh, and talk to you about it briefly is that you know, it's, it's really fun when you see someone that creates like a common good, you know, that does something that adds value in 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 the field in some way, like used uh, in, in a nice kind of, I don't know, a very generous, altruistic way. And I think you have a good example of that where I feel like a lot of people might know you partly because you created this behavioral science company's uh, directory of sort of like spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. That I remember, like You're famous. If, yeah, it's famous. <laughs> I, I think the last time, the first time I saw it, it was like maybe like fifty companies or something. And then I, I know that it's gone on to be like three hundred organizations there. And um, so probably more at this point, right? Yeah, maybe more. Yeah. What What's the current count? <laughs> anyway, I haven't checked, but I think about that. <laughs> okay, yeah, because I guess I wanted to ask you know, why did you do that? And if there's anything we can kind of take from that as a whole of like for any listener that wants to in some way, either, I don't know, do something good for the field or, or just find ways to add value. If, if there's anything you can share on, on your experience with, with setting up that. Yeah. So I do find it quite funny that that is something that became so, so popular. It, uh, it was something that, that I started setting up back when I finished my my master's program in um, 2012 and I was looking for a job and the first entries were basically based on me going to the monthly London behavioral economics meetup <laughs> group uh, which was uh, at the time called the behavioral boosonomics and, uh-huh. and uh, it's no longer called that <laughs> I think it might still be called that um, <laughs> but uh, but Good. it was maybe kind of 2030 people there every week, no, sorry, every month. And uh, it was a very small group. And a lot of us were looking to start jobs in, in applied behavioral science after after studying it. 
And uh, I would basically talk to people and meet people there. And, and there weren't that many people working working in the field. So I found out kind of where they were working and I wrote it down for myself so that I would know kind of which companies to keep an eye on whether they were hiring and uh, and see if I could I could get a job there when it was kind of my turn to, to start looking. So a lot of the first companies were super UK and, and London focused since that's primarily where I was looking for a job. And I kind of eventually eventually got a job, but it was a very small field at the time. And I kind of kept getting questions about which companies do this and, and who knows what behavioral science is even. And where can I kind of take these skills that I've learned and, and put them to use if I'm not going into academia? So, I mean, it wasn't a ton of entries then. It was like I heard about one or two new companies every every couple of months and it was kind of a slow a slow burn but but I shared the list with with people I knew who were looking for for a job and occasionally I got kind of more more uh, additions to it and you started kind of having the first nudge stock festival I think and and kind of made a few entries after that and and uh, kind of slow, slowly it started yeah it started growing and then it just kind of got exciting to, to see it grow quicker and quicker with more and more companies. I think around that time and in, in the UK, especially there was a bit of a, a boom where it went from kind of everyone I, I studied with were unemployed for the first six months. And then uh, they were all very sought after and, and everyone kind of wanted to, to get people with that behavioral science expertise to work for their companies. So uh, it was an interesting, interesting shift from being really, really challenging to find work to seeing more and more companies seeking out people who had that background. I just kind of kept the, the list going. Um, then I moved to the US and, and it felt like it was kind of the same experience all over again. I moved to, to San Francisco and it was maybe two, two or three companies who were doing behavioral science here. And I wanted to learn more and I wanted to kind of figure out who are doing it here. So, so I kept learning about who's doing this in the US and, and adding that to the list. And I just kind of had it on my own as a resource uh, that I would share when people reach out to me uh, to ask, like, how do I get how do I get a job in the, in the field? Like, who is, who is even doing this? It was a nice thing for me to be able to, to show people um, instead of just kind of listing off 10, 10 random companies. Yeah. <laughs> and eventually I, I figured I probably had missed a lot of companies and and I'm already sharing this with a lot of people who are saying that it's helpful for them so so I might as well kind of make it more publicly available and and let people make additions to kind of help help me fill out the gaps and yeah it was surprisingly popular to me I, I kind of knew that that some of the people I had sent it to when they'd asked for for my help liked it but uh but it grew really fast, uh, and I'm really happy that that so many people have found it useful. And I think it's it really shows that something that might seem quite small to you uh, can make a really big difference to other people. So in terms of sharing things that are good for the field, um, I think sometimes it's hard to to realize what what and how much value you can bring um, when it's something that seems relatively small to you and, and um, you should really do what you can. Yeah, I love that. And I think it you, you kind of say it in a way where you created what you wish existed and that's how I started. So so yeah, we're always going to link to it in the show notes. So don't worry, if you haven't seen it already, you'll, you'll find it there. And uh, yeah, uh, again, kudos for you for, for doing that. It's been really great. I think and a lot of people 
have appreciated that. But now I'm going to segue to our kind of recurring segments, underrated versus overrated. And we're going to list a few things and pretty much just give your take whether you think they are underrated, overrated by side as a whole or the field. And uh, Aline, do you want to get started? I do. First one, Froze. Um, I'll jog your memory on this one. <laughs> as in frozen rosé by the pool. Yeah, I think it's underrated. I haven't actually had it that many times, but uh, I think you're bringing this up because one of the best times was uh, when I was visiting you and we had frosé by the, the pool in the room. And it's a very nice memory. So I will say it's underrated <laughs> if that's how good it is. <laughs> well, I agree. <laughs> you're, you're correct. Talking about something frozen. Trump, sir. Underrated or overrated? Underrated. I don't know how many people have actually heard about Tromsø, but it's uh, so it's my hometown. It's where I grew up. It's it's in the north of Norway, and um, and tourists often come for the the northern lights. But it's uh, it's a really fun fun town with uh, a lot to do, both in the city and uh, around. It's beautiful, beautiful nature, and kind of something for everyone. And no polar bears in mainland Norway. You have to go to Svalbard okay. for that. Okay. <laughs> because when you say north but, in Norway, so that means like well. <laughs> there's few places in the world as, as far as north as north in Norway. So, so yeah. But no, no pol- polar bears. No, <laughs> your back's straight. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> how how about behavior mapping? Underrated. Yeah, I think I think behavior mapping is a really useful useful tool for. Um, trying to understand the context in which uh, key behavior happens. We've talked a little bit about this through our conversation today, but really I think it's so important to understand the friction involved and like all the steps that are involved in doing something that you want people to do. Sometimes it might seem like, oh, this this action that people we want people to take, it seems really simple, it's really straightforward, but then you map it out and, and you really think it through and it might be like 25 steps and some of them are really hard <laughs> and, and it just kind of helps get everything down on paper and really visualize, like actually you're asking people to do a lot of stuff here and it's complicated and like mm. this is probably why users are dropping off here and not doing the thing that you want them to do. So I would say underrated. I th- don't think it's used enough. Fjords. Sorry? Fjords. <laughs> Fjords. <laughs> That's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, what about them? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like the ocean. <laughs> well, everyone's telling me that, you know, I have never been to Norway. And it's the weirdest thing. I've been everywhere in the world, feels like, but I've never been to Norway. And people say, you should check out the fjords. <laughs> And so I'm just curious, yeah, like, right next door. Yeah, fjords, fjords. Are they what they made out to be? Uh, I mean, do you have somewhere in between? I think, yeah, they're they're just rated. <laughs> <laughs> they're just there. They exist. <laughs> good, good. I mean, they're okay. Not, fjords are beautiful. You should uh, you should go see them. <laughs> How about nudging? It's probably a little bit overrated. I think there is a there is a lot. I mean, sometimes you might uh, think about just nudging when you think about behavioral science. I think it's it's one it's one tool and it's it's one specific uh, area and approach to to behavior change. Um, I think it's probably incorrect to to equate uh, behavioral science applied behavioral science with nudging. There's a lot more to it than that. That said, I think 
there's there's a time and place for nudging and it can be extremely helpful as well. What about sleep? Very underrated. <laughs> sleep changes everything. And <laughs> both Aline and I are, are not getting enough of it at the moment. <laughs> still, still. It's incredible. Um, okay, now we're going to do something uh, kind of special. We have our constituents from Norway and Sweden here. So I'm going to list out some things and have you both share your opinion about whether it's underrated, overrated, and uh, see where you agree, see where you disagree. Hopefully no fights break out, but um, we'll see. There's been plenty of wars um, so just- between Sweden and Norway in the past, so... It's true, yeah. <laughs> We're always friends. We don't make jokes, jokes about each other at all. And no, no, never. never. <laughs> I don't even know if you're serious. <laughs> no, half of Swedish jokes I'm are about really... Norway, and I'm sure the same jokes are made. Is in, it true? In yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. We call That's them funny. Swedish okay. jokes. I think you call them Norwegian jokes. Yeah. It's the same joke. It's the same joke. <laughs> Can you share it with the same joke? Okay. <laughs> like how many Norway- Norwegians does it take to turn on a light bulb kind of thing like that? What's what's the punchline? Like three. One holding the, the light bulb and then two people turning around the person. <laughs> but like I said, we have the same joke and okay. it's the Swede who can't yeah, turn the it. light bulb. <laughs> All right. Who are the best skiers? Uh, Norway. I think so. We have more mountains. Hate to admit it. Hate to admit it. Okay. Norwegians or Swedish? Best cuisine? Probably Swedish. I should have said Swedes. Norwegians or Swedes? Doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, yes, I agree. Like we've we've kind of made the meatball famous, even though I've found out that it's actually not from Sweden. We stole it from Turkey, apparently, and then just made a remix of it. But uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Mm. I agree. If I could, um, I would I would probably say option C, Denmark. <laughs> but, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Really throwing a wrench in there. Uh, All right. Norway or Sweden, best healthcare? I I think we're both winners. I feel like we're even. even, uh, (laughs) A tie. Pretty good in both. (laughs) I haven't tried Swedish healthcare. Really good. Best capital? Sweden. Norway. (laughs) I don't know about that, but... You've actually, I haven't been to Oslo, so you're actually probably the more objective one here if you have been to Stockholm. I have been to Stockholm and I love Stockholm. They're both very nice, but um, I think it's hard to be unbiased in, in this one. <laughs> but Stockholm is also very nice. So, yeah, no, but I give, I give so also. It's, I, think, it's I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. You're, you are both so gentle and diplomatic. <laughs> this was, there was no war here to be found. There's one more best musicians. So you're looking for like ABBA here, right? You're, this isn't even like a Norway Sweden thing. <laughs> or, well, you know, we. No. I feel like it's oh. Sweden here. The, the answer would be Sweden, I, I think. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> the answer would be. From how you were phrasing the question, Elena, I thought you were like looking for the specific band. All like, oh, right, right, right. Do you yeah, think about true. Scandinavia? Yeah. I, I see. I yeah, think, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we can be more, more diplomatic and say what was one of the best bands from each country. Uh, I think. A lot of people who are into kind of electronic music maybe know about Roiksop, which is a Tromso export um, and actually lived in the house next door to me when I was a kind of young, younger child. They were in high school and rented an apartment next door to me. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so cool. I honestly love Roiksop. I forgot they were Norwegian. I didn't know they were Norwegian, but they're honestly, if you're listening to this, we're wrapping up now soon, so... 
next listening to Roiksop. They're incredible. That's so cool. Yeah, and I think Norway has a lot of uh, of nice electronica, but I think Sweden Sweden does too. Um, I, I love um, the knife and Robin and, and people like that, and they often collaborate with Roiksop. So I, I think do. it's a it's yes. a pretty intertwined scene as well. Okay, I guess there's a tie or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was it a competition? I wasn't keeping score. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> great job, uh, both of you. Participation trophies all around. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. Okay, Ingrid, one final question before I let you go. Um, this is the question that we ask all of our guests. And honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorites. So what is one thing that you've changed your mind about? It could be anything. So uh, I'm going to choose audiobooks. Um, I used to really dislike them and really prefer a printed copy. Um, but in the last year, audiobooks have been an amazing way to read while still having my hands free to hold the sleeping baby uh, that I was trapped under for a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, so and one of the books that I read was by one of your past guests on the podcast, actually, Katie Milkman, uh, How to Change. Oh, right. And I thought it was kind of funny because one of her famous studies talk about temp temptation bundling and kind of holding the Hunger Games hostage at the gym. And while I kind of didn't really do it on purpose, I ended up holding her book hostage while I was snap trapped. I, I only listened to it when I was trapped. And you did temptation bundling with the temptation bundling book. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's so meta. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> But, um, awesome. but yeah, I have come to love audiobooks. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ingrid. Um, it's been a pleasure to chat with you as always. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Behavioral Design Podcast from Habit Weekly and the Center for Advanced Hindsight at Duke University. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you like what we're doing here, don't forget to share it with your friend, a colleague, your mother, uh, anyone you can think of. Our fantastic show music is Murgatroyd by the wonderful Dave Pizarro. And thanks to the team at Orange Wall Media for the production of this episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another deep dive into all things behavioral design. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Blow.